Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Crystal Knight and welcome back to the show brought to you by Newsweek. Last week, I did an interview with Color of Change about the Supreme Court's pending ruling on affirmative action. Well, this week they came out with their decision and in a 6-3 ruling, they struck down affirmative action. And many people were not surprised at the court's decision. We knew that this would come. We knew that this day would come. And I wanted to get some immediate reaction, not only around what is happening, but how this will impact the black vote. This week, I am speaking with Adrienne Shropshire. She is the executive director of Black Pack. It is a left-leaning political action committee. And Adrienne, I'd like to welcome you to the show and really give you the opportunity to tell our listeners exactly what Backpack does and why your organization exists. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, Backpack is a national political organization that is focused on engaging and informing and mobilizing Black voters. Um, we have been around for about six years now. Um, we have, you know, in, invested millions and millions of dollars um, to make sure that Black voters uh, participate in um, our democracy, um, that people are aware and informed of how they can participate, um, that they have the information that they need about the candidates and the issues um, to, to engage and to feel empowered by their engagement. Um, we also believe that elections obviously are important, but in many ways, the day after election is that the election is equally, if not more so important, because the, that's the moment when the rubber meets the road and we have expectations around people who came and courted uh, our vote um, that they actually deliver on their promises and move the agenda and advance the issues that um, that, you know, that are important to our community. So we also work to make sure that people stay engaged beyond election day, that we don't just, um, you know, show up every four years or every two years, um, but understand uh, the importance of state and local elections and also the importance in, be involved, in being involved in uh, legislative and, and policy campaigns um, that are really, you know, that's the moment when we can think about, you know, ways in which people's lives get changed is because policy gets passed and laws get passed um, to improve their, to improve the quality of their lives. A couple of the things that you said around voting, around policy, around issues is absolutely where I want to begin this conversation. We're recording this conversation on the day that SCOTUS has basically struck down affirmative action in the current iteration that we know it, where minority applicants and students are able to utilize this policy to gain admissions into colleges and universities across this country. And there are so many angles around this decision. There's so many reverberations that will be felt because of it. 
But because of the work that you do, working with black voters, talking to black voters, understanding why and how they decide to vote, how will this affect the black vote as we think about moving into 2024 next year? I think that it is important to note um, that black voters are paying attention um, to what is happening at the Supreme Court. Right. And so if there's anyone who thinks that, you know, black black voters are just focused on, you know, the cost of eggs. Right. Or, uh, you know, uh, worried about the, you know, rising rent. um, Yes. Black voters are obviously concerned about all of those issues, uh, but they also are uh, deeply focused on what appears to be um, a court that is set on rolling back rights and undermining democracy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, even in recent focus groups uh, that we've done, people are really clear that, you know, expected, anticipated, you know, felt like this was going to happen as we all did. I mean, this is part of the, 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 you know, what is challenging and hard about this day is that we all feared it would come. We all knew it was going to come. And then when it did, it still felt like, wow, they really want to take us back. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think that, that, you know, Black voters see that, but they also see it as a part of this kind of unrelenting assault mm-hmm. um, on our community, um, on our rights, the Dobbs decision regarding yeah. abortion, the Shelby decision, we're sitting at the anniversary of that Shelby decision and sort of undermining of the Voting Rights Act an expectation that there will be an assault on marriage because Clarence Thomas told us that there would be. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know? Yeah. So it feels that, you know, people recognize mm-hmm. um, that this court is hostile yeah. to the interests of black communities, um, that they are hostile to the progress of this country um, and, and say so. Right. And so yeah. even though, you know, when people talk about, and we hear this all the time, uh, you know, about a lack of enthusiasm for black voters or every know, election, yeah. Joe Biden's too old or they don't, you know, whatever. Um, you know, there there's some truth in all of that. But black voters are also really clear about the stakes um, that that we face in every election. And so that is the thing that is animating people and that will drive people um, to to the polls and to, and to participate. And I don't have any doubt of that. Okay, well, that's helpful to understand that context. But the follow up question there. Yes, black voters are paying attention. Yes, there's an assault on black voters um, in a number of different cases, because a a lot of the the rulings that the Supreme Court is coming down with, they don't just affect one particular party or one particular people in this country. um, But thinking about black voters and understanding that black voters really make up the base of the Democratic Party and that Joe Biden is already announced that he plans to run for reelection. How should he and the Democrats campaign to black voters? How should they Mm -hmm. think about this SCOTUS decision and what kind of parallels can they draw um, on the road decision that happened during the midterms into 2024? What can he say What can Vice President Kamala Harris say? What can the Democratic messaging say to black voters so that we will continue to come out and vote? Um, Because we also know the president absolutely gets 
a consequential decision in picking um, Supreme Court justices in this country. Right. Well, I think that um, the the president and the vice president and Democrats in general, because obviously we're talking about the presidential uh, uh, election next year, but we also know that the Senate hangs in the balance. Absolutely. Um, you know that you know uh, a couple of other decisions that came down this week mm-hmm. uh, from the court, uh, or not this week, but um, in the last couple of weeks, I guess the Milligan decision uh, in the Alabama redistricting case and the implications that that had for Louisiana and Georgia and Texas. Um, you know, there is an opportunity. Uh, to, you know, the, the sort of control of the House also mm-hmm. hangs balance and those decisions, you know, have the potential to redraw maps that would um, that would create new districts that could bring um, new and diverse um, voices into the House as well. So um, so it is certainly the president, but it is the entire Democratic and I think progressive ecosystem um, that really needs to lean into um, the way that that, you know, folks messaged in 2022 and Mm -hmm. even in 2020. I mean, when Joe Biden launched his campaign, he said, we're in a, we're in a fight for the soul of America and nothing has changed. Right. Literally nothing. Nothing. Right. Right. So we remain in a fight for the soul of America and Mm -hmm. we can now delineate the ways in which, uh, you know, sort of the radical uh, edge of the Republican party and the right um, has, uh, you know, clarify that for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that it's there are, you know, certainly the Supreme Court decisions. Um, but I think that there is, you know, the sort of clown show that is um, the House uh, majority right now. Um, there is, you know, obviously um, uh, January 6th looms large in the right. way that people understand who is trying to take our country where. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and when it is, you know, to this day, and again, I, you know, we just refer to some of our recent focus groups where for black voters, January 6th is a marker. Um, it isn't just something that's happened and people forgot about. Right. Um, it was very clear what was happening on that day and that we had white supremacists attack um, the, the center of our of our government. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is, you know, crystal clarity, I would say, um, about um, who is trying to take our country where. And I think that um, the president and the vice president need to remind people of that. I think um, that they have that there are these competing views Mm -hmm. um, for what the future of America looks like. Um, And on the one hand, it is a future that is kind of, uh, you know, reminiscent of the days of yore, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, When uh, you know, we had uh, Jim Crow, right? When we had um, an intentionally um, unequal society. Um, and I think that that contrasts with, an, you know, real efforts to move us toward a, a legitimate and authentic multiracial democracy that's grounded in justice and equity. Mm-hmm. That's the contrast, right? And so I think that they can make that contrast. And I think that there are, so when we talk about rights, when we talk about, you know, fundamental rights that we thought that we all had um, that are being taken away and the role of the Supreme Court right. um, in determining what rights we do and don't have, I think is an important, um, you know, message uh, for uh, the, the 
administration or the the campaign, the Mm -hmm. Biden-Harris campaign, um, to deliver. I think the vice president has a particularly important role. Yes, um, I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, Given who she is, just her very biography um, becomes critical to uh, encouraging mobilizing and, you know, raising the enthusiasm is Mm -hmm. one thing. The the vice president has a particularly important role to play in encouraging Black voters right now because people feel like they're under unrelenting assault. Right. Right. Um, And her voice is critical in this moment to say, um, we can change these things, Mm -hmm. right? We can pass laws that Mm -hmm. codify roads. Right. right. And it's important across the black community. I mean, one of the things that I, uh, you know, have taken note of in our focus groups, just the, our recent ones, but also our ones last uh, cycle during the midterms, is that you have people very deeply concerned about Roe. And that oftentimes what is overlooked is that black men are often among those who are most deeply concerned. Really? Right? So in focus groups that we've done um, with black men around the question of, of the Dobbs decision, um, black men are deeply distressed huh. <laughs> about that decision. Um, And, you know, partly because it's certainly about a woman's right to choose and, you know, not, you know, putting people uh, in a, in a position where they have to carry pregnancies to term um, with all kinds of, uh, because of all kinds of negative, uh, you know, or or the ways in which they find themselves, women have found themselves um, in this position, whether it's because of sexual assault um, whether it's because, you know, their their pregnancies are not viable, sort of forcing people to, to carry these pregnancies to term um, sits, does not sit well um, with Black men. But there's also the, this reality about the question of bodily autonomy right. um, and whether or not any of us, right, have control over our own bodies. And I would say that for Black people, this is in our DNA, mm-hmm. the idea that someone can control our bodies, control our actions, control that, like that is just a non-starter mm-hmm. um, for Black people in general. And so I think that there is this, um, this, this deeply felt sort of, this is not just about reproductive rights. Right. This is about people being able to control our very bodies. And that does not sit well with Black men. And so I think that there's a role for the, for the vice president to play um, in sort of saying, we, you know, not just that we can't go back, right, kind of refrain, but also saying there is a future in which none of this happens, right? And mm. that future depends upon us getting uh, elected leaders in place who can pass the kinds of laws that protect us um, and obviously who can appoint uh, judges and justices to the Supreme Court that will make better decisions than this court um, has, has. Absolutely. And Adrian, one of the things that I hear out in the movement space and even in media, particularly when we talk about black voters is that, you know, every four years or every two years, even um, Democrats come back and and tell black voters, we need you. You know, this Mm -hmm. is the most consequential election of your life or, you know, whatever the talking point is for that Mm -hmm. particular election. And we also hear or see rather black voters saying, what have you done for me lately? Student Mm -hmm. debt hasn't been passed yet. Obviously, this this, you know, affirmative action has just happened. Roe versus Wade has happened. When you when you're in the focus groups, you talked about focus groups earlier when you're talking to voters, particularly black men as well, because that's a demographic that there's a narrative out there, at least that black men are leaving the Democratic Party. They are becoming, um, you know, 
apathetic towards the voting process. I'm not going to go as far as to say that they're going towards the right, but certainly there's some some uneasiness with the party as it stands. And so my question is, for people who might say, well, what has the party done for black voters? Why should black voters continue to be loyal to this party? What would you say to that? You're, you're talking to black voters every day. You're in focus groups with them. How do we get through beyond that narrative that black voters are only important when it's time for elections? So I think there's a couple of things. I mean, one, you know, we have seen a trend um, for the last you know, several years of um, black voters um, moving away from identifying as Democrats. Um, okay. I don't think that that's specific to black men, okay. quite frankly. That's not what we've seen. I think that it is a, and I also think that it's sort of um, a reality uh, across the, across demographics. And so people mm. identify more as independents. Okay. Right? Uh, we certainly know that that's a trend and that, and that, that, that trend has not passed mm-hmm. uh, black voters. Okay. Um, I think that, and I also think that there's a narrative out there that is um, that is uh, inaccurate in terms of where Black men, sit. I guess I would say, just hasn't panned out, mm-hmm. right? So this idea that Black men are leaving uh, the Democratic Party en masse or that they're not uh, voting for Democrats, it just doesn't pan out in the actual outcome of elections. And, and you know, numbers are numbers, right? So I right. um, haven't seen that happen. The two, uh, you know, most loyal uh, you know, dem- uh, groups within the Democratic base are Black women first and Black men second. So there's no, right, there's, that, that's just a reality. Um, and yeah, like, and people have people have a reason to say, what do I get for my vote? Absolutely, right. right. Uh, they, mm-hmm. We all should be asking that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that part of the challenge and certainly what we have seen recently is that there's just a real information vacuum. Hmm. Um, people don't have information about what the Biden-Harris administration has done um, for uh, broadly in terms of their accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And you know, in focus groups, we ask people, "Do you, you know, what do you think the administration has done?" And they sort of go back and forth, and they're not sure, and they don't know. And then they say, "Well, I don't. They haven't really done anything because I don't. I haven't heard about anything." And then you run the litany, right? The American Rescue Plan, right? The, uh, uh, you know, uh, the student debt uh, uh, work that has been done. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The, you know, uh, um, the criminal, the the, the sort of uh, police accountability work, the, you know, ban on on federal chokeholds. You sort of run through the the list for people. Right. And they're kind of shocked. Right. And two things that, you know, uh, child tax credits and like all the things um, cutting child poverty in half, lowering black unemployment rate, all of those things. And people are kind of shocked and they're shocked for two reasons. One is they're like, oh, I didn't know. Right. right? Like I, I didn't know these things. And then they'll say, where were we supposed to hear this from? Mm. Right. I don't really know this. Now that's, right? that's a really good point that you're making. Where, where were they supposed to hear this? And how do you, what's your response when people say that? Well, there's two things. One is that in in the most recent focus groups, people who had been directly affected by those policies. So one uh, millennial black man said, oh, yeah, right. My rent. That's how I paid my rent during the pandemic. Mm, Right. Okay. Um, But had five minutes before been saying that Biden hadn't done anything. So like this real disconnect. Right. Or another young man who said my student loan debt got wiped out in just in what they have already done. My Mm -hmm. student loan 
uh, that got wiped out, but had been bashing the administration prior to that, right? So, and then suddenly it was like, oh yeah, I remember. And so there are a couple of things. I mean, one, we know and we talk about all the time about how Democrats are not very good about tooting their own horn. Right. And so that is true, mm-hmm. right? They're not getting it because it's not getting put out there. Um, you know, if Trump had done any of these things, he'd have been 24-7 all day long with a bullhorn in every Black person's ear about what he had done. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Of, right. That's not true of Democrats. And so some of it is, you know, for all the effort and money that gets gets put into you know, pre-election and leading up to the election, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, information and education, there has to, like, there has to be an effort that is uh, educating people, reminding people, informing people, whatever word we want to use about what has actually happened. Um, And I think that, again, that this is a particularly important role for the vice president, um, because so much of this, uh, of what the administration has done has impacted, um, families and mothers Mm -hmm. and and black folks, right? And I think that there's a role for her to play in conveying that. Um, And then I think it's for all the independent organizations to be doing as well. Um, You know, uh, we are in a position where we are talking to people all the time and we need to be conveying this information, not just because we're shields for the administration, Mm -hmm. because there's a reality. Like these things have happened and these things will also go away. Right. And that's the thing that I think is important for people to understand. But also, I want to just add to something that you just said, your organizations like Black Pack and others, you're also trusted messengers. So you mentioned not being a shield for the administration, but people like to hear information from people that they know. And so if you're the closest organization or person that they know or they know you personally or someone that works with you or for you or has been adjacent then that message goes even deeper um, because of who the messenger is. And so when I think about, you know, the messaging and and even around what's happening right now with, with this SCOTUS affirmative action decision, you know, I think that vice president Kamala Harris is, is one of the best weapons that the Democrats have right now. She is one of the loudest voices who is able to not only identify with the black community, but also go out and stump really hard as a trusted messenger um, around a number of these issues. That's right. And she can break, she can bust the myths around things like affirmative action, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, I always say, I, I don't know where this comes from that somehow black people are overrunning elite college campuses. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Someone stand in the middle of Harvard right. yard and you might see a black person. Might. Maybe, right. Um, but there is this sort of larger message and narrative that really is about who we want to be as Americans. And that really is about equal access and equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that she can deliver that. Listen, the president has to deliver it, too. Mm-hmm. And all of their surrogates have to deliver this. Right. I think that there's also you know, there's there's a danger in suggesting that affirmative action um, is only a benefit to black people because we know very well that that's not true. It's mostly a benefit to white women. Absolutely. Um, and that, and that point needs to be needs to be made. And so I, you know, I I, I hesitate to, you know, focus on, um, you know, this question. I mean, not, you know, I'm I'm sitting in 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 Los Angeles, California, where there hasn't been affirmative action in higher education since 1996, right? And so, and the and the 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 devastation um, that that created, particularly because we have unequal public schools. 
right? And so if, if our public schools, our K through 12 institutions are the pipeline to higher education and to lead educations, when they are unequal, and when the education that our children are receiving are both segregated mm-hmm. and unequal, then people, then we do not have an evil, an equal playing field. And I think that this is a, like trying to move this message. And again, the vice president and others in a, are in a position to talk about this is that we want a nation that is based on equity, right? We want a nation that is that is built on equal access. And it's a larger question than did two additional black people get into Yale? Right. Like that's right. Not, that really isn't where, where we ought to allow um, the conversation to, to, to be at. And so um, and, and by the way, those two additional black people were qualified to get into Yale. So right. That, you know, full stop. Um, but I think that there's a there is a larger narrative, I think, that is, again, and this is back to your earlier question, um, that is fundamentally about who do we want to be as a nation? Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. I think I think Americans have answered that. Americans have answered that for the last three election cycles. They've said, we do not want what Trump and the Republican Party are selling, right? Right. They said it, the American public said it in 18, they said it in 20, and they said it in 22. And so the administration and Democrats, I think, across the board have a very clear um, you know, conversation that they can have with the American people that is still about the contrast, that is still about a com- competing vision um, for America and having the, you know, the the opportunity really to expand these what feel like very narrow, very community specific kinds of issues. Abortion is just about women. Well, of course it's not, right? right of it's just about Black folks. Well, of course it's not, right? Um you know, access to the voting booth is just about Black people. Well, of course it's not. They can expand this out to make these American problems, to make these issues that the American people have to rally around. Um, and I think that that's, that's their charge. It's all of our charge. And I think that they're in a good position to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. And I think, you know, when I think about this, the context of this conversation, the context of, of what's happening with the Supreme Court, um, I can't help but think about how black voters or really what black voters will be thinking about as they head to the polls. And, you know, you open this conversation by saying black voters care about other issues beyond economic issues. They care about other issues beyond the cost of eggs or the cost of gas. But as we bring this conversation to a close, what would you say to a black voter who might be really trying to understand um, what they should do as they think about, and when I say what they should do, who they should vote for as they're moving into 2024, yes, it's easy to say, hey, it's a presidential year, you got to go out and vote, but there are so many other elections that happen beyond the presidential election. There's so many other elections that are consequential that people can feel in their day-to-day lives beyond the presidential election. So what would you say to a black voter who might be listening and say, well, how should I think about this beyond the presidential, but in my respective state, community, county, or whatever? Like, how should we leave listeners and voters thinking about this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, what I would say and what I do say is that in this moment, all of it matters. Mm-hmm. Every level of government matters, right? And it's important right. for us to understand who has the power and authority to affect what, right? 
but all of it matters. And so we've got to look at our local government, right? Those people who are closest to us, we have to look at our state government. We have to look at the federal level because right now every, every piece of it is significant in terms of the kind of, you know, the future that, that we want. Um, and, and I can tell you what black voters say to me. Okay. Right? Yes. What I hear from them, mm-hmm. um, because for us, we're not just, we don't, we're not just going out and saying like, well, here's what we think, right? We're trying to be in a conversation with people. Black Pack is trying to be in a conversation with people to say, what are we collectively trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. What do we collectively need to be saying to our community? And what people say is that, again, I'll go back to, I think a point that I raised earlier, people feel like our community is under siege. They yeah. feel like there is a relentless assault on our community um, at every level. Um, and that their response is often, you know, I'm going to vote um, or I'm not going to vote. But what I or, you know, I don't know if I should vote or I don't know if my vote matters probably is the 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 the, the clearest thing that we hear from people. But. I know that my community is under assault. And so you have this sort of, you know, really clear um, understanding within the Black community that, yes, we all have our individual, um, you know, uh, persuasions, right? Mm -hmm. We all have Mm -hmm. our own individual, uh, you know, way of thinking about um, what it means for us to participate uh, in democracy. But at the end of the day, our community is under assault, And that in order for our community to thrive in this country, there has to be a democracy that works for us. And so what people will say is, I'm going to vote because I know that we will not survive um, if we are not participating in our elections. And this is not about Joe Biden. This is not about Kamala Harris. Mm. This is not about the person who's running for governor or U.S. Senate. This is about my mama and my cousins and my friends down the street, like right. we're voting because of us. Um, and so we will work to, you know, to to make sure that there is a path for us. Right. And so I don't think that people are necessarily in, you know, in in the place where they're saying, well, you know, the this sort of individual, what am I going to get out of it? Uh-huh. Right. Certainly like what is our community going to get for, for casting these votes? But people are very clear about the danger um, that our community faces, and particularly because people see the sort of racism and rise in white supremacy as such a threat mm-hmm. to our community, that that is what is motivating people's participation. That is what motivated people's participation in 18. It is what motivated people's participation in 20 and in 22. Like people see this existential threat that can undermine everything that our community has as the vision for our future and ourselves and our children. Mm-hmm. This can undermine that, that, that potential future. And people want to participate to protect the, that vision of the future. Um, and so I think that that's like, that is the conversation that I have with voters in part, because that is what I'm hearing from folks, that that is the thing, the anxiety that keeps people up. Right. Yes. It's the cost of living. Yes. It's gun violence. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's all of those things. Um, but people want to be able to, to, you know, have hope, yeah, right. People wanna, do. want to be able to believe mm-hmm. that we are moving towards something better. Um, and that and that voting in some ways for people is an act of resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is why they participate. It is the way that they show resistance to um, to a, a set of forces in this country that, that, are, that are trying to take us backwards. 
You know, there was something that you said that really made me think about 2022. When you said black people are under attack, it feels like our rights are always being taken away from us or, you know, down that that dotted line. And I can't help but think as you were speaking about when Roe versus Wade fell last summer, so many people felt like it was the end. It was the end for repro rights. Um, Mm -hmm. And the results in the midterm elections showed different. You know, there was a faction in this country who said people don't want Roe versus Wade. But when we look at states like Kansas and Michigan, voters showed out in alarming numbers to really say, actually, we do care and we do want these rights. And so I bring that up because I'm actually asking you to, if you will, predict. And I know Mm -hmm. that we can't see into the future, but so many people thought that the Democrats were going to have a slaughterhouse and it really it, right. it wasn't. And so right. do we think that this this ruling today around affirmative action will backfire in the Republican playbook? And will it be beneficial for Democrats in 2024? I think this ruling coupled with the other rulings. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. So I think it's this ruling couple with the other rulings. I also want to say mm-hmm. the other, another issue that's animating black voters is this issue around banning books. Yes. Altering oh black history, altering black history courses. That is another. So it is all of these things. There is a story that the right is helping to evolve. Right. Mm-hmm. And it is a story about, um, you know, again, this sort of effort to erase rights, to erase history, to erase people. Um, And I think that it is all of these things that are animating people. I think that Black voters will, you know, I don't do, since 2016, I don't do predictions. Okay, (laughs) right. (laughs) Of course, of course. Um, But what I will say is that Black black voters will do what they have been doing, and I have no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. They will show up in the way um, that we need to show up. Um, We will do our part to preserve democracy. We absolutely will, because an America without a functioning democracy is an America that does not work for Black people. Mm -hmm. And so Black voters will show up, and they will do their part, and they will do their part because they have seen enough, right? Right. Uh, like, uh, you know, the the sort of, you know, I've seen enough in, in the election framework, right? right? Black voters have seen enough and they know what this is. And you have to put all of that stuff into context. These Supreme Court decisions, the attack on education, right? The attack on LGBTQ rights, uh, you know, folks realizing that they are trying to uh, shut a whole bunch of us into a room, right, and pretend that we don't exist. And I think that Black voters, in some ways, more than other people in this country, understand what it means to live under authoritarian uh, rule, to understand what it means to live under, uh, you know, sort of fascist dictatorships, because we have. Yes. We know what that looks like. We know what it means to live under authoritarian rule because most of our time in this country, we lived under authoritarian rule. We know what that is. Mm-hmm. And we're not trying to go back there. This is not um, intellectual for us, right? This is not academic for us. This is the lived experience of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. We know what that looks like. Um, and so no one wants to go back there. I don't want to go back there. Right. <laughs> no, I don't either. I don't want to go back there, right? Right. So, 
So yeah, we will do what we have always done in this country. And that is to show up and try and push, I mean, to be the moral conscious of this country, to try and push this country forward to something that is closer to a more perfect union, that is closer um, to a multiracial democracy that works for everyone. That is what we will do because it is what we have always done. Wow. Powerful words by Adrian Sharpshire, the executive director of Black Pack. Adrian, thank you so much for putting this ruling into context for black voters as we think about 2024 and the upcoming presidential election. Really appreciate your time with us today and would love to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to come back. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to The Crystal Night Show. After being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. Which is like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.